Hey, strangers. Welcome to another quarantine episode of The Strange Sessions. As always, I am Kurt, and I am joined <laughs> both by my lovely co-host Krista and my lovely co-host Narnia. Yeah. Just won't stop squawking right now. She's very vocal today. She's very vocal today, so I'm going to have to figure out something to do with that. So how are you? I'm good. How are you? Hanging in there? Yeah, yeah. Going into the office today, that's exciting. Well, <laughs> it's like just, the excitement in my world going to the office. That's how I felt going to the studio the other day, even though... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there really, anybody there? No. Was the building it, empty? Yeah, and it felt really creepy in there. I'm so, sure. I just went in the I went in our studio and put the blankets on that Aaron and Nicole gave us and left because it was kind of creepy in there. Yeah. But we got maybe to... maybe our next episode <laughs> two weeks from <laughs> now I'm gonna have the giggles through the whole episode. Nardy, you just won't shut up today. Yeah, I she, love it though. That's because she was sad because nobody heard her in the last episode. <laughs> she might not even pick up. It might not even pick her up in this episode. Maybe it'd be cute if it did though. Yeah. Um. Yeah, maybe in two weeks we can meet there. But this yeah. is nice. I mean, if we want to interview somebody, it's easy enough to do it on this. Right. You know, and totally. uh, I want to give a, a shout out. We're going to give like the shout outs to new strangers when we actually get together in person. But okay. I want to give a specific shout out to Brian Young, who sent me an awesome microphone. I haven't used it yet. I got it yesterday, so I haven't really used it yet. So we're going to try it. And... uh. It looks awesome. It's like a desktop one, and I think what I'm going to do, I don't use my kitchen table for anything, so I think <laughs> I'm just going to clean it off, and I'm going to put the microphone on there, and that'll be like the official, my studio table here in nice. the apartment when we do this, because I have a feeling that you and I might want to do this. I mean, if we want to start interviewing people or having guests, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you know, I think so. That's something we'll have to figure out. I found out today that I can't do this in my pajamas. I was just going to record in my pajamas and I felt weird. So I had to put clothes on. Do you have your podcasting underwear on? That's the more important question. I do. I have them on. (laughs) They get washed once a season. Oh, God. So (laughs) I'm really liking the Skype thing right now. (laughs) We also wanted to give a shout out to the other strange sessions. Oh, my gosh. That's right. We forgot last time. We did. You know more about that than I do. So explain that to people that okay. didn't see our posts in The Strangers. Quick story. So my husband sent – he had asked me where – I think he has a coworker who's kind of into the paranormal. And he emailed – or texted me one day and said, hey, where where can you find your podcast? And so I told him. And he sent me a – don't know, an email shortly after saying uh, there's another Strange Sessions out there. So I went and looked. I don't remember the platform at this point where you can even go because I kind of forgot about it, to be honest with you. But I saw there's a podcast out there called Strange Sessions, and I got all heated. I texted Kurt, and I was yeah, like, I was like, all right, who's going to send the message and let these people know we've, we've existed for a couple of years now? I'm like, I'll be polite, but we got to let them know. And then I listened to it, and it's this adorable 12-year-old girl who like interviews her dog <laughs> and like interviews an alien that she does the voice for. And I'm like, okay, forget it. We have to basically just enjoy it and go with it because I'm not going to tell her she can't, you know, use our name anymore. So we followed her on Instagram. I haven't really checked back to see, you know, if she has put anything else out, but they're, they're little like seven minute episodes and they're really cute. And I'm like, how can you be mad at that? Exactly. So I'm like, let's just promote it instead. Yeah. <laughs> You should uh, get her on the show. 
Yeah, that'd be cute. Interviewer in Skype. Probably have to get like a parental, you know, consent form or something because she is twelve. But that's true. That's you true. Know. But I no, because I, I got that you were so mad when you found that you sent me that text. I was like, don't you Google this stuff first, people? <laughs> well, probably not. Maybe she saw okay. our name like searching for something and she thought it was cool, so she kept that for herself. Over. Yeah, maybe. Our name isn't really good, and it's something anybody could think of. You know, like a kid would think of. I don't know. I, I think our name is kind of unique and clever, but I, that's because I too. came up with it. I think it is, too. <laughs> it's probably because I came up with it. I just um, remember you and I spending so much time trying to figure that out. Yeah, back and forth, back and forth. But um, really good. I, also, the quality of her podcast is surprisingly good, too. There's, like, music and everything, so. Jeez, we might have to get her to be a yeah. intern, help us with right? stuff. I know, love it. Yeah, I'm hoping that... Uh, Brian's microphone he sent me is going to help. If not, I'm going to, I still didn't get my stimulus check. And even though I really? am unemployed, they're sending it today because I don't oh. do direct deposit. But even uh, though I'm unemployed, I am considering spending part of that on a new computer. Hmm. And that might help because you know, this computer that I'm using now for this is like the Walmart cheap. I think it was like 175 bucks or something like that. It has a 32 gig hard drive. And that's yeah. Yeah. It's like a bad flash drive these days, mm-hmm. so there's like no room on it for anything. That's the but, same one I use for recording when we're in the studio, yeah. I think, but yeah. it works for that. Yeah, but it's not a real good computer, so I'm kind Mm-mm. of, if the, his microphone doesn't make things better, I might just get a new computer, because it would be kind of nice having a new one anyway. Narnia, you're not shutting up at all today, are you? <laughs> I can't hear her anymore, so okay. that's okay. Uh, hey, I was going to tell a quick story, too. Did you want me to tell about my weird stuff in my house? Yeah, definitely. I'll try to keep it brief and not make it long and tedious, but um, long story short, last week one day, I was here alone, and I I heard a door shut somewhere in my house. So <laughs> and that, weird. I know, and it sounds so like whatever, you heard a door close, big deal, but it sounded fu- it sounded like it was inside my house but far away which doesn't make sense because we live in a a single story ranch and i was standing in our dining room which is just off the hall where all of the like bedroom bathroom and closet doors are and it was distinctly further away than any of those doors and none of the doors had closed so i actually ine- i immediately brushed it off as being the exterior door off of our kitchen which leads to our backyard we often um kind of rope it open <laughs> We MacGyver it open with this old leash of Lucy's so that she can come and go. And it tends to bang around in the wind a little bit. So I immediately was like, oh, that must have been what it is. And I just, I don't know if that's just me because I don't want it to be anything else. I don't want to live in a house that has activity. So I just forgot about it. Like, I didn't think about it again. And then I don't remember if it was the same day or a couple days later. Jim was in the basement we have like couches and our PS3 is down there. He was, he's going into sports withdrawal. So he was playing like a head coach game down there and he came upstairs to use the bathroom. And when he came out, I heard him going and opening doors and like talking to me. And all of a sudden he walks out into the living room where I was sitting the whole time. And he said, I could have sworn you just went into one of the rooms back there because I heard a door close. Uh, and that reminded me that I had heard the same thing. So then we both got a little weirded out because we couldn't explain where it was coming from. But I don't know. I haven't heard it since. So knock uh, on wood. Oh, it was Luke. I just, yeah, I just think that's weird. I wanted you to put out an audio recorder, but you were like, nope. 
nope, not doing it. Don't try for <laughs> not you. my house. No. <laughs> yep. Nope. Not going to encourage communication in my own home. So keep us updated if there's anything yeah. else. Yeah. I, I will. You, I mean, did I tell you what? Sophie? What Sophie texted me? Mm-mm. That I don't know if I'm going to cut this out or leave it in. I could just leave it in. Sophie and Adam were here for our episode on Ouija boards. Yeah. And she had a lot of experience. Yeah, Zozo. And she had a lot of experiences with Ouija boards when she was a kid. And, you know, they just bought their awesome new house. Yeah. And I guess, I guess, I think her dad was there. Her dad, Sophie and Adam were there. And they were going through the crawl space and they found a Ouija board in the crawl space. (gasps) No. Yeah. Yeah. They have to move immediately. (laughs) She's kind of freaked out about it. She said she was going to send it to you and I to put in the studio. Oh, no, I don't want it. (laughs) Oh, that's freaky. Why would that be in there? No, I I don't don't know. I'm pretending that didn't happen. Yeah, I don't know. She's she didn't seem there were a lot of uh, curse words in her text to me about finding it. So she was very upset. Nothing weird's been happening there, though, right? No, she hasn't texted me about anything weird happening. Okay. What are they doing with it? I don't know. She said she was going to send it to us, so we might get it. No. (laughs) Well, you can take it home with you. No, no, you're taking it home with you. Why not put it in the studio? It's not like we sleep in the studio. Yeah. There's already weird stuff going on there, though. True. But I don't know. I'm not going to hide it. We'll go hide it in the gym somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's put it in one of the rooms there. Sure. But no, keep... Keep us updated on weird stuff happening at your house. Yeah. Nothing That's weird. probably nothing. <laughs> nothing weird here. Probably nothing. Yep. Uh, we don't have a taste test. I did nope. I did post in the strangers that I tried that ranch soda at Corey's house and my brother's house. Yeah. And that was horrible. Yeah, it's got to be horrible. I described it to somebody like when you open a new container of French onion dip, it has like the water on the top. Like oh, no. Drinking that, that's what it tastes like. <laughs> disgusting and the taste wasn't bad but the aftertaste was horrible so mm. or again with the ranch ranch like, soda so like carbonated french mm. onion water yes that's basically <laughs> what it tasted like so yeah it was kind of gross uh but no i can't think of anything else so again thank you brian for the awesome microphone i am gonna yeah. mess around with that and try to get that did you see the post that somebody put in the on the strangers this morning about the pickle incident Yes. Yeah. Somebody posted. Classic Wisconsin. It was uh, in Manitowoc. There was a, the headline said, Manitowoc man arrested after throwing pickle jar at roommate. So that was in Manitowoc. Was Was it an empty pickle jar or was it it full full of pickles? I think it was full of pickles, but there was heavy drinking involved, I guess, which does not surprise me. No, no. But that was not me. So Jim all was it followed by like a jug of Bloody Mary mix? I mean that would make <laughs> sense at least. It might be old fashioned at Manitowoc. Everybody loves their old fashions. <laughs> with pickles ch- though? I've had them with pickles. Really? It's usually with cherries, but I've had them with pickles yeah. and olives. But well that's Jim Olick posted that in there. He said he was glad to see I wasn't involved in that, so <laughs> that's always good. That's funny. But I think on to our main story. Yeah, sounds good. Do you know what it is? You t- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You okay. told me. Okay. Well, I had I, to think for a second, but you did tell me. It was at, we're, It's on uh, USOs, Unidentified Submerged Objects. And yes. originally, it was kind of a last-minute topic change because originally I was going to do another one. 
I was going to do a different topic, but then as I started to research it, I realized it might be uh, girthier than a, 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 a lesser topic. So I want to save that for when we're together in person. Yeah. So I put that on I the I think back, I know what you're talking yep, about. I put that on the back burner, but then I came across a story on Reddit that I got super obsessed with. So I started doing that one, but then I realized that that one is like really true crimey. And we just did uh, Tara Calico. Oh, right. So I didn't want to do two ones like that in a row. So now I next one, I think we're going to do the true crimey one. So this one, I decided to go with unidentified submerged objects because we haven't done a UFO one for a little while. Nice. So have you heard anything about unidentified submerged objects or anything? Um, I'm Yeah, I guess it's not something I've looked into a whole lot, but I'm definitely familiar with the, yeah. the topic. Yeah, it's really interesting. So the main story, USO stands for Unidentified Submerged Object, and these are basically the underwater version of UFOs. These don't get a ton of coverage, but USOs are actually more common than you would think. So as an example, an October 9, 2019 article in Popular Mechanics called, quote, the Weird History of Unidentified Submerged Objects talks about how former U.S. Navy Commander David Fravor was a guest on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast where he talked about a sighting that a fellow pilot told him about after they were both out of the Navy. According to the article, quote, the eyewitness was based at Naval Station Roosevelt Roads on the island of Puerto Rico. Twice while recovering spent practice munitions out of the water, the pilot spotted a weird underwater object. In the first incident, the pilot saw what he called, quote, a dark mass underwater as he and his team retrieved a flying practice drone. The pilot described the object as a big mass, kind of circular, and he was certain that it wasn't a submarine. In the pilot's second sighting, a practice torpedo that the pilot was sent to recover was, quote, sucked down into the depths of the ocean in the presence of a similar underwater object. The torpedo was never found. Also in the interview, Fravor reveals that a 79-year-old woman contacted him after his sighting went public. The woman explained that her father, a naval officer, was at one time based at the naval station in San Francisco in the 1950s. When she was a child, her father showed her a telegram that stated that unidentified objects have been sighted going in and out of the water at a now-forgotten set of coordinates. The woman's father told her, quote, we get these all the time and it's always in the same area. Mm. The idea that not only are UFOs in the sky above us, but also in the water below us isn't a new one. There have been sightings throughout history of people seeing strange objects in the water. Uh, Christopher Columbus saw weird stuff. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not really a new one, but it makes sense that assuming UFOs are real, that they would want to spend time underwater here because so much of the planet is water and it's inaccessible to us basically well it's a perfect hiding spot yeah it is a perfect hiding spot so it would just make sense that if you were an alien you would want to do that people sometimes forget that water covers about 71 percent of the earth's surface which is just crazy to me that that so much of the earth's surface is is water mm -hmm. uh the average depth of the oceans is 2.3 miles the deepest part of the ocean is the Mariana Trench, which is around seven miles deep. So there's a lot of room out there for stuff, you know. Like we yeah, and if they if they have advanced technology that you know they can submerge themselves that deep without any kind of yeah, danger. they won't have to worry about us finding them. Right. Uh, so there's just so much water. 
Did I talk about Point Nemo on the podcast? I can't remember. Point Nemo? Point Nemo. Hmm. Like Finding Nemo? <laughs> like, like Finding Nemo, but it's called Point Nemo. Have I talked about it on the podcast? I don't think so. Uh, um, months ago, I was like weirdly obsessed with a place called Point Nemo. It's a point in the Pacific Ocean that's known also as, quote, the oceanic pole of inaccessibility. It's hmm. the most remote place on Earth, and it's the farthest place away from land. When you're at Point Nemo, odds are that the nearest human being to you is actually aboard the International Space Station. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, the astronauts... kind of creepy. It is. The astronauts aboard the space station are usually around 258 miles away from the planet. While you're at Point Nemo, the closest land to you is actually 1,670 miles away. Hmm. So it's this point where there's like... You're, you're as far away from humanity as you can possibly get. So that's just... I got obsessed with this place and looking at pictures. It's just a spot in the ocean. But, you know, it's just nuts to me that that's so, so far away from everybody. So if you wanted, if you had a UFO, that would be the place to go. Have there been sightings there or any kind of activity there? No, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Although people probably don't spend a lot of time out there, but. No, no. I mean, some people go out there just to say they went there. Sure. And sometimes there's boat races that go through there. But for the most part, there's nothing out there. Okay. So there's just so much water, which is just crazy. In 1970, biologist Ivan Sanderson published a book called, quote, Invisible Residence, which detailed sightings of what would later be called unidentified submerged objects or USOs. The book discusses dozens of instances of unusual water-related sightings, like a 1957 sighting when crew members aboard the Kitsukawa Maru, a Japanese fishing boat, spotted two metallic silvery objects descending from the sky into the sea. The objects, estimated to be about 30 feet long, were witnessed without wings of any kind. As the objects hit the water, they created a violent turbulence. According to an October 2017 article in The Sun called, quote, The Truth is Down There, Mark D'Antonio, an astronomer, researcher, and the chief video analyst for the UFO organization MUFON, said that he was on board a U.S. Navy submarine in the North Atlantic Ocean when he witnessed an unusual situation. In Mark's own words, quote, As a thank you for doing some work for them, the Navy asked me if I wanted to go for a ride in a submarine, so I said yes. Once we got under, I was sitting in the sonar station, and the sonar operator was sitting right next to me. Submarines are loud. People think they are very quiet. It's true that they are on the outside because sound doesn't get out. But inside, you hear lots of noise, fans, people talking. It's a constant din on a sub. I was sitting there zoning out a little because I was seasick, which I would probably be too, and claustrophobic. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the sonar kid shouts, quote, fast mover, fast mover. And I'm jolted awake thinking, what's happening? Is it a torpedo? The executive officer comes out, and the operator shows him the path of the object. And the officer says, quote, how fast is that going? And the kid said, several hundred knots. I started to lean forward to listen in, and the officer said, can you confirm it? So he goes to another sonar machine and confirmed that it wasn't a machine anomaly. It was real. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. When the sonar guy said, quote, what do I do with this? The officer said, quote, log it and dog it. In other words, log it and bury it. Four, mm-hmm. years, four years later, Mark said that he was doing some more contract work for the Navy when he spoke to a senior naval officer about what he saw. I asked him, quote, can you tell me anything about the fast mover program? He looked at me and said, quote, sorry, Mark, I can't talk about that program. 
So he basically confirmed to me that there was a program called the Fast Mover Program. What he told me was that USOs are common. We even have a program in place to classify and log and determine the speed of them, and it goes into a vault, and nobody sees it after that. Well, that's interesting. That is. that they, they it's, it's a common thing that they see a lot. So, question. Yep. You said 700-some knots. What is considered, like, normal? I like, don't how really above, know. Yeah, I'm just curious to know, like, a normal um, watercraft, how fast is that compared to a normal, what a normal craft could go? So, yeah, he said several hundred knots. Several hundred, okay. Yeah, so I don't know. Sounds like a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it does sound like a lot. Sounds fast. So it's just crazy to me that they see these things and they have, they see it enough that it's kind of common, Mm -hmm. you know. Common enough that they have like a program and they're all like, oh yeah, we track this and then we track it. Yeah. So another sighting, according to the website flyingdiscpress.com, says on August 2nd, 1965, the crew of the steamship Raduga in the Red Sea witnessed a 60-meter diameter sphere blast out of the water and hover 150 meters over the Red Sea. Some local fishermen in a motorboat were much closer to the object, and it caused so much turbulence in the water that one of them was thrown from the boat and died. A few months later, three of the fishermen died, which people wonder if it could be related to their exposure to the USO. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of crazy. crazy. Yeah, that is. Uh, USOs are occasionally witnessed flying in and out of bodies of water that have heavy ice coverings as if the ice presents no barrier to them. After these reports, large holes have been observed that do not appear to have gone through any violent event, like a ship breaking out through them. You know, so it's weird. It's like, do these craft have some kind of field around them that... Mm. Well, that's interesting. Well, because I think that even UFOs that are spotted, you know, in the air, a lot of accounts describe like a field around them. So I I think that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's just, it's just weird. Like, I wish I knew how this works. Because these things go faster underwater than anything should be able to go through underwater. So it's like, are these things, like, not even contacting the water? Are there... Is there like some kind of field around it that's mm. repelling the water that it's able to do it? It's just bizarre to me. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, though. Yeah. Uh, there are also some sightings close to home. According to MUFON, at 2.10 a.m. on November 28, 2016, a witness saw a craft rise up from the Bay of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Hey, that's, yep, my, that's my stopping <laughs> grounds. <laughs> according to MUFON, quote, The witness saw a triangular-shaped object fly out of the water of Green Bay, traveling at approximately 35 knots. It was so close that they could hear a muffled jet-like sound. Mm. As it came out of the water, it turned onto its side as it traveled west and gained elevation. The elevation was at 500 feet, and the distance to the craft was less than 1,000 feet. The sides of the triangle were between 100 to 150 feet. So that's a big craft. Yeah. I wonder where. Like where in the bay? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. It's got to be, because I'm not sure. I can't think in my head how the bay looks, but you're really familiar with that mm-hmm. area? Yeah, yeah, I grew up on the bay. The you little town seen... that I grew up in is right on the bay. And you've never seen anything? No. No, and I've spent a lot of time out on the water as a kid. 
Yeah. There's a lot of people that think Lake Michigan is a base for UFOs mm-hmm. because of all the UFO activity we've talked about in the past. Right. Did that and come could, up in the Michi- Lake Michigan Triangle? I don't remember if it did or not. I think it might have. Hmm. But there's a lot of people that do believe it's a hub for UFOs. Interesting. <laughs> well, we both live right on Lake Michigan and I've never seen anything, but... No, but I know a lot of people that have that huh. have seen weird things. I'm also not really looking. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I don't pay attention to that. I'm sort usually of thing. in bed by the time it's dark, so <laughs> I don't see anything. Uh, one of the hot spots of UFOs in general, but also a hot spot for USOs, is Russia. According to a July 24, 2009 article on Wired called, quote, Russian Navy declassifies Cold War close encounters, a Russian officer is quoted as saying, quote, 50% of UFO encounters are connected with oceans, 15% more with lakes. So UFOs tend to stick to the water. Hmm. And one of the locations in Russia with the most reports of UFO and USO activity is Lake Baikal. Lake Baikal is the world's deepest lake and the largest freshwater lake in the world. It holds 20% of the world's freshwater due to the lake's depth. Wow. At least at least 25 million years old, it's also considered the oldest lake in the world, and it's so large that it's often mistaken for a sea. Hmm. So that's a big lake, a big old lake. I would love to visit there. It yeah. sounds like they have a hiking trail around the lake itself, you know. But it sounds like nobody really goes to this lake. It's always probably cold. Right, like Lake you know? Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Big and cold. There have been a lot of USO sightings there. These are from a March 30th, 2015 article in the Siberian Times called, quote, Aliens and UFOs at the World's Deepest Lake. Oh boy, we got a Russian name here. Vyshezlov Laredovich, a rescuer, recalled an incident but did not give the date. He said, quote, We were on a yacht in Lake Baikal, and from under us flew out a huge glowing disc. It blinded us for a second as it flew into the sky. We did not even have time to grab any cameras nor take video, although all of us saw it. It was huge, and it lit up all of our yacht. In diameter, it was probably 1,000 feet, a huge disk. For three minutes, it shone from below the surface and then abruptly departed in a second. The spectacle was huge, awesome, beautiful, and shocking. And that's a big craft coming out of the water. Right. What I think is kind of fascinating is how many accounts there are of craft either going into the water or coming out. Yeah. I think yeah. it's one thing to see something under the water because I, I think you could easily misidentify something underwater because water distorts, you know, what you see. But to totally. see something entering and coming out of the water is definitely interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You get to see it both ways, you know, under the water and out of the water. So there's a lot of that. Well, there's no mistaking it when it's above the water. No, I mean. no, exactly. Oleg Chichulin was also on a boat training students when they saw strange objects. He said, quote, there was a ball that glowed, and then this ball started to fade and blush, and then it turned into a bright red ball. This red ball for a while lay on the water and then slowly began to sink. All this gradually went under the water, and it became dark. And that's one thing that you're going to see a lot in these uh, in these instances where people see these things that a lot of times these, whatever these things are, like sit on the water for a little while and then like slowly start to sink into the water. We're going to see more of that on this episode. Okay. So that's like a common thing. Then in 1977, two researchers named V. 
Alex Alexandrov and G. Seliverstov, <laughs> Russian names, were in a submersible device at a depth of 4,000 feet in Lake Baikal. The researchers turned off their spotlights to see how much sunlight penetrated down that far. All of a sudden, they found themselves bathed in light. One of them said, quote, It was like our device was lit from above and from the side by two strong spotlights. Only a minute later, these unknown floodlights went out, and we found ourselves in total darkness. So that's just, hmm. there's just, these whatever these are, is giving off this light, these have to be huge things underwater. Right. You know. Well, light does not penetrate water easily either, so that's no. very powerful. Yeah, exactly. And also from the Flying Disc Press website, it talks about a major general V Demi, major general V Demi Ananko, commander of the Russian military diver service, that talked about, and this kind of popped up a lot when I was researching this. This uh, general, I, I need to get better at these Russian names. General Demianko, commander of the Russian military diver service, said that during exercises in Lake Baikal during 1982, his divers had seen a group of underwater creatures. These creatures ended up being called swimmers. Hmm. The swimmers, as they ended up being called, were nine feet tall humanoids who only wore tight fitting silver suits and sphere like helmets. They were at a depth of about 160 feet in freezing water, so they definitely weren't human. A team of seven divers were sent down to investigate these creatures, and they tried capturing one of the creatures using a net. <laughs> So, that's just, okay, whatever works, I guess. They tried capturing one of these creatures using a net. After throwing a net at the swimmers, a strange force pushed the divers immediately to the surface, and the rapid decompression they experienced caused three of the men to die and the rest to become disabled. Oh, my God. As a consequence. But they, but they all saw it? Yeah, yeah, they all saw it, and they went down. They all, all these seven divers went down to try to catch one of these things, and that's when whatever was down there put out this force field that shot him immediately to the surface and killed three of them from the decompression. Wow. As a consequence of this, the USSR Ministry of Defense produced a bulletin detailing the strange sightings at the lake and warned anybody against making any unnecessary encounters. So that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, this all happened in Lake Baikal. So that, that Lake Baikal is like a hotbed for USO and UFO activity. Hmm. Another well-known USO sighting happened in Norway. This comes mostly from a July 26, 2012 article on the Cryptoville website. I've been to that website for a couple podcasts, too. Cryptoville. This sighting, oh boy, now we got Norwegian names. <laughs> this sighting happened at the Sonnefjord, that's not so bad, Sonnefjord Fjord in Norway, the second largest fjord in the world. Do you know what a fjord is? Is it a mountain? <laughs> no. <laughs> didn't know either i had to look it up i had to google it to find out a valley Uh, it's kind of a a, a fjord is a long narrow often deep inlet of the sea in between high cliffs oh wow okay yeah so i mean it's like a series of you know like imagine a path like weaving in between cliffs okay but water with water that's basically what a fjord is i had to look it up too because i didn't know learn something new today exactly So at this Norwegian fjord, on November 12, 1972, an unknown fast-moving craft off the coast of Norway was caught on radar. At some point, this craft entered the water of the fjord, where the Norwegian Navy began tracking it and had help from specialized submarine tracking helicopters. 
uh, they were worried that it was a Soviet sub or a U-boat of some kind. It's not known exactly what data they captured from these days of tracking the object, but on November 20th, a craft was seen headed towards the fjord's southern point, and 15 minutes later, it was seen at the northern point. It was estimated that if it was the same object, it was traveling at over 120 miles an hour, which couldn't be done at that time. Wow. Then, on the night of the 21st, witnesses saw four rocket-like objects shoot out from the water, saying that they looked like small red balls of light. The next day, on the afternoon of the 22nd, the Navy fired an anti-submarine missile, which should have brought anything within 10 miles of of their location up to the surface, but nothing came up. So they're tracking this thing moving in the water, but nothing they're doing is having any effect on it. So when did this happen? 1972. Okay, but it was in an article you saw in 2000. I saw this a couple, yeah, I saw this a couple different times. Okay. So they're... They're trying to get this, they, they're convinced it's a Russian submarine, mm-hmm. but they sent off this sub anti-submarine missile, which should have brought anything within 10 miles up to the surface, but nothing came up. Hmm. Then on November 27th, the craft surfaced. Witnesses described it as a, quote, massive, silent, torpedo-shaped craft. It just sat on the surface of the water until the Navy fired at it, and then it submerged again. So at this point, the Navy decided to block off all the available exits and entrances to the fjord, trapping the craft inside the fjord. So they can, they, they had, you know, they looked for all the entrances and exits and had their submarines and their military and all these people blocking those off. So they continued to search around with the exits barricaded, but nothing was found. It was like the craft just disappeared. Hmm. So it's believed that it flew out of the water at some point and flew away because nothing was ever found. Maybe there's like underwater caves or something too. Oh, it's, it's very possible, but that's freaky. I, but this does not sound like anything that we have. No, especially know. back then. Yeah, yeah. So now we get to probably one of the most famous USO sightings and famous USO UFO sightings, and that is the Shag Harbor incident. And the Shag Harbor incident is often called Canada's Roswell. And this is one that I've seen on a lot of UFO on TV shows and stuff like that. So the Shag Harbor incident. I always get a kick out of the word shag. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So from a December 13th, 2019 article on Mysterious Universe called, quote, The Mystery of the Shag Harbor Incident, the article says, on the evening of October 4th, 1967, Something strange happened in Shag Harbor, a small fishing village in Nova Scotia. At 11.20 p.m., at least 11 witnesses, including off-duty police officers, fishermen, pilots, and a group of teenagers, saw a group of strange lights in the sky. Town resident Lori Wickens was a teenager at the time, and she says of that night, quote, We see four lights in the sky and over the land here. We thought it was a plane and never paid it no attention more or less just watching lights go on and off. There was four lights in a row, and they were going on and off. One would come on, then two, three, and four. They'd all be off for a second and then come back on again. So at the time, witnesses assumed that this grouping was some kind of super large aircraft. This reminds me of the Phoenix lights a little bit. Yeah, it does, with the the lights going on and Mm -hmm. off like they are. A man named Ralph Lowinger was a co-pilot, co-piloting a cargo plane from New York to London that night, and he said, quote, 
I just happened to be looking in the right direction, and I saw this formation of bluish-white lights slanted from upper left to lower right, and I said, ooh, watch this guy. The other two in the cockpit looked. I remember the captain's hands and my hands both going for the control yoke because we figured we were going to have to dodge this guy. And it looked like a big airplane at the time, like a huge B-52 or a 707 with all of its lights on. There were about five lights, I remember. He was in a position relative to us of a guy making a left-hand turn, and that would have had him crossing our bow. So we were waiting, and these lights just hung there. They didn't cross our bow. And I remember the three of us were looking at it like, what is this thing? And we couldn't discern what it was. I called Boston and asked if they still had us on radar, and he said, yeah. And I said, well, who is this at our 11 o'clock? He watched a full sweep on his radar scope, and he said, I don't have anybody out there. And I said, well, I'm looking at somebody. After a while, the witnesses saw a bright object plummet down from the sky into the water. Some witnesses said that the object had made a strange whistling noise as it descended, booming as it entered the water. Other witnesses say that the object seemed to stop and hover for a second before entering the water, while other witnesses reported that the object seemed to flash a sequence of lights before it entered the water. So there's a lot of stuff going on here as this object enters the water. Yeah. Lori, Lori Wickens said, quote, it went across the road in front of us behind the hill. We couldn't see it. We made it to the top of the hill and saw that there was a light in the water. We went to the phone booth called the RMCP and reported a plane crash. That's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Yeah. You know, so everybody's thinking that this is a plane that went down. Mm-hmm. At that point, witnesses gathered on the shore to watch what they described as a glowing orange sphere about the size of a bus bobbing on the waves and making hissing noises about a quarter of a mile from shore, leaving a trail of bubbling yellow foam that witnesses watched for nearly an hour before the object quietly and soundlessly went under the water. Hmm. At this point, everyone believed that what they had seen was an airplane, so fearing that a plane had crashed into the water, shortly after the light disappeared and in the days following the incident, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the Canadian Coast Guard, the Royal Canadian Navy, and local fishing boats all searched the area for survivors or debris, but no trace of anything was ever found. That's crazy to have so many witnesses. Yeah, yep. See and this thing. To and never find any trace of it. Nope, nope. Captain Ron Newell was a skipper above a Coast Guard cutter that was out searching that night. He said they mobilized within 10 minutes of receiving a call from the Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax that a plane had crashed. Captain Newell said, quote, We searched that night on the ocean pretty much the whole rest of the night, but we didn't see anything. We were back the next morning. We brought divers down for two days at that time, and they didn't bring up anything that we saw, so I can't tell you anything more than that. I'm not saying that it wasn't a UFO, but it's just that we didn't see anything. Other than the foam that was still on the water, that was the only thing we saw. So there's this weird yellow foam that's still on the water from whatever this thing was that crashed into the water. Hmm. It's funny for them for them to say, we're not saying it wasn't a UFO. Yeah. Well, if you couldn't identify it, it was a UFO. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't mean it was an alien craft, but it was a UFO at the very least. Exactly. Two days after the crash, the Rescue Coordination Center had assembled a team of Navy divers who for the next three days combed the bottom of the harbor looking for the object. One local fisherman said that he saw them bringing up aluminum-colored metal, although it was unclear if this had been actual crash debris. The final report said that not a trace of the crash object had been found. 
According to a September 21st, 2017 article in the National Post called, quote, We Saw Something, Something Came Down, the Shag Harbor UFO sighting 50 years later, UFO researcher Chris Stiles came across a ton of official documents, including military, government, and police records, making the Shag Harbor incident one of Canada's best documented UFO sightings and pretty much one of the best documented UFO sightings in history. So there were a ton of files about this, I guess. According to the article, in his 2001 book called Dark Object, Stiles said he eventually interviewed military leaders and members of the Navy's fleet diving unit who told him the orange orb spotted in Shag Harbor had submerged under its own power and had traveled to a spot on the seabed off of Shelburne. At the time, the Shelburne area was a location for a top-secret U.S. military base disguised as an oceanographic at the time, the area was the location for a top-secret U.S. military base that was disguised as an oceanographic, oceanographic, oceano, <laughs> oceanographic, I cannot say that word, disguised as an ocean, disguised in a, as an institute that studies the ocean. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> go with that. The facility used underwater microphones and magnetic detection devices to track enemy submarines but its true purpose wasn't revealed until the 1980s. In the book, style sources talk about a secret flotilla of American and Canadian ships that were dispatched to the area to investigate. There was speculation about Russian submarines and extraterrestrial visitors, but there is no hard evidence to back their claims. While the official story of the incident ends here, many claims have been made of further evidence while the official story of the incident ends here, many claims have been made of further evidence attributed to various military and civilian witnesses. In a History Channel documentary about the incident, which aired on August 10, 2006, it was reported that one of the divers involved in the Shag Harbor search did come forward during the mid-1990s, refusing to allow his identity be to become known publicly. Once the researchers verified that the man, in fact, had served as a diver during that search, he stated his version of what happened at Shag Harbor. According to the diver, by the time they reached Shag Harbor, they already knew that nothing would be found there because the object had already been located off the coast at Shelburne. By this time, according to a military witness, a similar unknown object had entered the water and made its way to the first object, apparently attempting to assist it which is weird. That's like the space version of AAA or something. <laughs> you know, this object went into the water, and now this second object came into the water mm -hmm. and made its way to the first object. He went on to further say that the Canadian military and the United States Navy monitored these unknown objects by radar and sonar. This monitoring continued for at least three days until a Russian submarine was observed entering Allied waters to the north. With that, the Navy departed to intercept the Russian submarine, and by the time they had returned, the two unknown objects had departed, so they were gone. Hmm. Some reports, some re some reports, some <laughs> reports, reports. <laughs> <laughs> some reports say that both objects were witnessed leaving the water together and heading into the sky. The naval search was called off on October 11th. That night, a seemingly identical UFO was reported departing the area by witnesses near the original Shag Harbor crash site. So that's the Shag Harbor incident. Wow. It's just, you know, a lot of the 
a lot of the second part that we talked about, like the second object entering the water and going to the first object, a lot of that it comes from other sources. That's not like actual... The mass sighting or whatever. Yeah, it's not from the actual mass sighting. But even even still, what happened with the actual mass sighting? Something landed on the water. That there Obviously. Were yeah, I mean... I saw this thing on the water that slowly sunk below the water and... Divers could not find any trace of this object. Well, the, the fact that it was significant enough to prompt like a search and rescue effort is kind of a big deal. Yeah, it is. But I mean, they assumed it was an airplane that crashed, but it yeah. wasn't. They they tracked every airplane that was around that that time, and nothing crashed. There were They're no crashes, no missing planes. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. These people in the the military claim that this object made its way to this other area and the second object came in and assisted that object and they both left together can you manually turn off like the signal that would make you show up on radar if you're a ufo i'm assuming you can no i just mean a plane like if you're a pilot and a plane i believe so because i think that came up that came up somewhere recently i don't remember if that was another podcast we did or somewhere but it came up that you can shut off that okay i believe i'm just curious I, I don't know for sure that's something if any of our listeners know let us know because i don't really know that myself either because are they pinging off the craft itself or are they pinging off a signal from it i think it's a signal but i don't know <laughs> but like radar i'm assuming is detects the craft itself doesn't it I don't know, because how do you fly below radar then? Aren't there, isn't that a thing? I think the radar only goes so far that you can't fly underneath the radar. Oh. I don't know. If any of our listeners... Yeah, someone educate us. If any of our listeners know, (laughs) please let us know. But the Shank Harbor one is a big deal. I've seen a lot of shows about that and a lot of YouTube videos about that. And the fact that so many people saw this, and like you said, this cracked or whatever it is sounded like, phoenix lights it sounded almost exactly like yeah nobody called it a triangular craft but it did sound like one of those triangular crafts Mm -hmm. just like the the as the the aspects of the sighting itself is it reminds me of the phoenix lights yeah that it hovered there for a while lights were turning on and off that multiple people saw it over a long period of time yeah yeah, I mean, it was hours that it took this light to sink below the surface, and then mm-hmm. they couldn't find it, which is just bizarre to me. Or did they find it and just did not say? Bury Maybe it. it was some kind of military. Yeah, it could be. Know, experimental craft. I don't know. But there's just, that's basically all I have for USOs. Hmm. I mean, there's a lot of, oh, and I came across this fact, which I thought was interesting while I was doing my research. On a segment on ABC News on January 8th, 2020, The National UFO Reporting Center, which tracks calls and messages from people around the U.S. and Canada about strange sightings in the sky, reported that it received 5,971 sightings in 2019, which is a huge jump from 2018 when it was 3,395. So a lot more people saw UFOs last year. Yeah. Hmm. And the three states that topped the rankings for the most UFO sightings Number three is Washington State, number two is Florida, and number one is California. Hmm. And all three of those are bordered by yeah, water. Yeah, right. So maybe there is some kind of connection between 
UFOs and water. It just makes sense to me that if you, if 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 UFOs exist and you wanted to have a base here away yeah, from prying right. eyes, you would do it in the ocean. Well, and I also think most species need water to exist. I don't yeah. know if aliens do, but most civilizations are built around some kind of water. So yep. it makes sense. And I believe going back to that first guy I talked about, that uh, the one who was interviewed on the Joe Rogan podcast, it sounds like he's talking about seeing things by Southern California. And that's where there are a ton of water-related UFO sightings by Catalina Island in that area. And I think that's where those videos that were just put out by the military. Oh, and, really? Uh, from Tom DeLong's group. Yeah. The ones that they call Tic Tacs. You know, those, yes. Like, those are like, so I, cool. I believe that happened down by Catalina Island by Southern California. So there are a ton of UFO sightings in that area of the water. Hmm. So, yeah, it's just uh, that's that's all I got for this. But it's just fascinating to me to think of the possibility that these things are in the lakes, are in the oceans. You know, there's there's like I said, there's a lot of people that believe Lake Michigan itself has a base, a UFO base in the middle of it. It really creeps me out. Just the idea that if you're out on a boat, you don't know what's under you. Something could come up rising up out of the water. That's really freaky. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've always loved the idea of, of USOs. But it's one thing to think about the, them coming from another planet, but it's another thing to think of them being here, like, in the water near us. And potentially have been here for, like, <laughs> a few thousand years. Yep. But if you look at a lot of, like, UFO reports from MUFON and from people around the state and stuff, you see a lot of things, like, people seeing UFOs over the lakes. There's a lot of things over yeah. the lakes, which mm-hmm. kind of fascinates me that, you know, maybe this is a thing. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of uh, YouTube videos that talk about USOs. Uh, these are the three that come up a lot. I was always kind of surprised that Shag Harbor comes up a lot in this because to me that's not really a USO because only because it ends up in the only water. Only because I it guess. ends up in the water and then up supposedly travels under the water to a different location. Mm-hmm. But it just makes sense that if you're able to fly here through space, that you should be able to go into the water. Yeah. You know, with and. Who's going to notice you down there that far? You know, I, I don't know how much, like, I don't know, like, like, make, like Lake Michigan, do people know what's on the floor of Lake Michigan up and down the lake? I don't know. Right. I mean, it's a huge lake. I'm assuming I see divers like down. There's like, shipwrecks all over. Yeah, there's shipwrecks all over. And I do see diving boats out on the lake sometimes when I'm driving on Memorial Drive. Mm-hmm. So there's divers out there, but like the lake is huge. Yeah. And I guess I don't realize I didn't realize that until I took the car ferry from Manitowoc to Ludington. That wow, the lake really is huge. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a lot of area out there that they don't know what's under there. I I remember a friend of mine had read something about I don't remember what gangster it was from New York. It was visiting Chicago and was standing on the shore of Lake Michigan and said, "What ocean is this?" Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. you can't see across. Most no. lakes, you can see the other side, and no. it's massive, massive. It, it basically is like being on an ocean yeah. when you're here in Manitowoc, you know. Yeah. So there you go. That it's is strange. USOs. It's so strange that it's not a topic I've really thought a whole lot or looked into much about, considering the fact that I live on the water and grow up on the water. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Huh. But, like, that one I, I, we cool. had in the Bay of Green Bay was interesting because that's so close. Yeah, that's really cool. 
you know, so now I feel like I'll be looking at the lake a little more when I'm driving by and wondering what's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, this was kind of a last-minute topic change from the one that I was going to do. I think those are perfect for our Skype episodes, though, because they're a little shorter. We don't have a taste test. We're not no, exactly. welcoming new strangers. So yeah. it's a yep. good. It's like a mini mystery, sort of. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with these Skype ones is have a mini mystery because I don't want them super long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm gonna say those. What do you What do you think the one is that I was doing that turned out to be longer than I thought? Like the sky booms and. No. Oh, okay. No, the one. Then maybe you did one... tell me. I probably didn't, but the one that I started doing for this episode was about Montauk. Oh, the Montauk experiments. Yeah. Nice. And then it's like, and then it was like, I was going to try to do it and not really involve the Philadelphia experiment because I wanted the Philadelphia experiment to be a separate, like a mini mystery. But the Philadelphia experiment is tied in so much with what supposedly happened with the Montauk experiments that I kind of need to do them together. So that's kind of why that's going to be a longer episode. That's cool. People so, will be ready for a long episode. We'll save that for when we're together then. Yeah, yeah. So people will be ready for that. And then next time, the next episode is going to be a true crime one that I just came across in a Reddit group. And I was like, just, it's not really so much a mystery, but it's like, what was the chain of events that led to this? That's what's fascinating. Like you knew what the outcome is, but you don't know how it happened. No, you knew, you bet. Uh, not going to say the name somebody disappeared (laughs) somebody disappeared and they were found dead but it's like the circumstances are are what are like what happened okay i love that kind of story yeah so we're going to talk about that in the next episode so i think that's it for this one okay i know we've had a couple of uh, people on both instagram and facebook uh, make suggestions about topics so yeah i still have my i have my handy dandy little book that i'm writing down all that's all my topic lists and when I'm do, when I'm on Reddit, because I'm like addicted to Reddit now, like all the. It's like, a rabbit hole. It is a rabbit hole, so I'm addicted <laughs> to Reddit. So anytime I come across something that I think sounds interesting, I jot it down in the topic book. So That's we cool. might not run out of topics. We might. We're be not ever gonna run out of topics. <laughs> People are always gonna go missing, so there's that. But yeah. Yeah. This, so, we don't want it to turn into a true crime podcast, though. No, but I feel like we're gradually becoming that because I feel like we're running out of ghost stuff. Like, there's, there's only so much ghost stuff I feel like you can talk about, you know? Mm. I don't know. I feel like we're always going to have a story that, ha- you know, something yeah. some interesting tidbit that happened. I feel like when we started the podcast, we were, like, narrowing in on ghosts and paranormal. And I feel like now we're kind of expanding to anything that's, like, strange to us, like, mysterious. But that's the, I think that's that's good, though. I mean, yeah, our podcast is the strange sessions. It's not necessarily just about the paranormal. Yeah. Sometimes All I things think, strange. I think there's people that kind of wanted it to be strictly paranormal. And then they get kind of teed off when we start going into conspiracy well, that's, theories just, and stuff. That's just too bad. <laughs> I'm just going to have to deal with it. Krista tells it like it is. <laughs> yeah. Our podcast. We'll do it. That's we right. That's right. I want to spend it talking about. 14th century art i can do that <laughs> well might be a little boring for me but whatever <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make it interesting but no i think that's it for today okay sounds good that was a good so, one yeah it's just like i went down the rabbit hole of watching like when i should have been writing stuff down i got hooked on watching these youtube videos of about shag harbor and about you know usos and 
the frogmen thing I thought was bizarre that they saw these creatures that looked human, but you know, in the force field that shot them immediately to the surface. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, the fact that there are actual like casualties from that situation is so strange. But I will never be in a submarine under the ocean. No, it's too freaky. Like I have a hard time touring the Cobia here in Manitowoc. And I will never do that. Have you ever been out? You've never been no, out? No, I will not ever do that. <laughs> Submarines freak me out. Like it's it's one of those things. I used to think it was cool going on there, but now when I go on there, I just can't handle it. I'm just too enclosed. Yeah. Nope. You know. Can't do it. So, yeah, if something happens where the only way that we're going to survive is to go under the oceans in a submarine, I'm just going to die. Yep. I'll just surrender at that point. <laughs> yep. I've had a good run. I'll take my chances. Yep, exactly. So I think that is it. Do we have anything else? I don't think so. Probably, no but I can't remember. So we have, to, yeah, we'll remember it. I'll text you tomorrow and I'll be like, crap, we were going to talk about this. <laughs> but again, uh, keep anything political or virus related off the strange sessions board. Cause we don't want to deal with that. Yeah. You know, just assume any, it's going to get deleted. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I just, I want that to be like a safe haven from, that stuff yeah an escape there's so many conspiracies about this virus thing now that i'm seeing that it's just kind of crazy Mm -hmm. we'll get to to those eventually yeah i'm gonna admit i think stuff is doesn't make sense to me but we're not going to talk about that now we'll talk about that in the future yeah assuming that there is a future (laughs) do you see all this stuff that people are saying that are people are comparing this to uh the biblical end times because there's the plague and now there's these murder hornets that are they are they're saying that these are like the locusts that that oh, people are saying that we are in the biblical end times right now. No, I haven't yeah. been paying attention to that. No, so that's the last thing I need to worry about. Right now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But it's just crazy. It is. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to those more at some point in the future when it's not current anymore. Right. So I think it's time for you and I to have a really hard time with our. <laughs> A really awkward sign-off. <laughs> a really awkward. So we'll try this instead. So I'm going to do a count of three. Then we'll okay. do it. How about that? Okay. I can do so that. So from Krista and I in our respective homes, until next time, one, two, three. Stay safe. No, we still watched no, it. <laughs> so we'll talk to you soon, guys. Sounds Bye-bye. Good. Bye. sure she's gonna squawk a lot so i will lead us in right now ready okay (laughs) (laughs) she's like i'm ready (laughs) we're not interviewing you narnia (laughs) all right
<laughs> I love it. I she's wish gonna, the podcast would pick that up. She's going to so be cute. doing that a lot during this episode, I think, because she's That's sitting okay. right by me. She needs to get used to me talking. So. <laughs> that was a loud one. Yeah. Yeah.